Praise the Lord, everybody. You may be seated. You know, I've been working on this message for a little bit now, and it kind of it resonates in my soul, to be honest with you. And it didn't when I was younger. Didn't really give it much thought, to be honest with you, because I just didn't. There was too many, too many other important things to think about. And, you know, as I sat down the other morning, I got up, went into my makeshift office upstairs and sat down. And Brother Chris, I popped open my Bible, and I sat there for a second, and I said, God, I don't have a message ready for these folks yet. And this is a couple of weeks ago. I said, I need you to tell me where you would like for me to go. And then I begin to think back of some of the things, you know, that has happened over my life and the people that have been here and there and watched over and helped protect and guide me spiritually, you know, mentally, helped me physically. And I begin to think about the love of God. I begin to think how cherishable it really is. And I begin to think about the scriptures that says when you find favor in the eyes of God, you found favor in the eyes of man. You know, and I often sit and wonder, have I found favor in the eyes of God? If you don't wonder that, there's something wrong with your salvation. Because that should be top priority in our lives is finding favor in the eyes of God. Not that God esteemed you above anybody else, but just the fact that God admonishes you for being you and allowing him to work in your life. You know, and as we were singing that song a while ago, I kind of closed my eyes and I could hear my grandfather singing that song. Used to love the old songs like that. They were moving They reached down and they touched you deep in your soul. And if you don't believe that music isn't moving you, then you're sadly mistaken. It's moving you one way or another. You better hope and pray it's moving you the right way. You know, I thought, I think back over all the years and all the tests and trials that I have been in and all the tests and trials that I caused myself to be in. You know, because sometimes we do cause our own demise. You know, sometimes we overstep boundaries that we shouldn't overstep. Sometimes we speak when we shouldn't be speaking and when we need to be silent, you know. Uh, I just thank God tonight because sleepless nights are not all that bad, to be honest with you, especially when you spend time with God. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray right quick. So, dear Lord Jesus, I come before you tonight, Lord. Lord, I ask right now, Lord, as we come together tonight, Lord, that you help this message, Lord, touch somebody, Lord, as it touched me, Lord. You help me to understand, Lord Jesus, and help them to understand, Lord, that your love is cherishable in all shapes and kinds, Lord. Lord, it don't hold no boundaries, Lord Jesus, on who it loves and who it doesn't, Lord. Lord, we thank you tonight, Lord Jesus, because truly, Lord, without you, Lord, we're nothing, Lord, but with you, Lord, we're powerful in all ways, Lord. Lord, we give you honor tonight, Lord. We give you praise tonight, Lord Jesus, and I thank you, Lord, For breaking bread, apostolic church, Lord, I thank you for the people in this place, Lord. I thank you for the people that are about to come, Lord Jesus. And I ask, Lord, that you guide us and help us to be what we're about to learn on tonight, Lord. And I ask it all tonight, Lord Jesus, in your precious name, in Jesus' name. 
You know, the pastor kind of told me a little bit of a curveball because this message isn't going to be one of those messages that's going to be a shout, run, dance, and scream, and you know, all that stuff. And those are good. I love them. I enjoy them. I enjoy when somebody's getting happy and people are running around the church with their hands up and they're marching around the, the walls of Jericho and you can begin to see the troubles fall off of their sides and you know, and you look into their life, and some some of you I know your lives, some of you I'm learning your lives, and and I see some of the turmoil and the trials and the tests that you go through, and you know, sometimes you got to deliver messages to people that you don't normally talk with, or you don't go out of your way, which shame on us because we don't, because I'm about to show you tonight that that's not right, that's not of God, and as I as I laid in bed the other night, I laid there and I began to talk to God. I literally felt a calmness come over my spirit in my bed, laying there next to my wife, you know, who I consider to be my miracle. You know, to be able to still lay next to my wife and sleep at night is something I will never take for granted, to be honest with you. It was almost taken away from me. It was almost ripped out of my hands, and it was out of my, out of my reach and my grasp, you know. But I get to be honored to lay next to Kim Biddle and just lay there and listen to her snore or sleep or whatever the case might be. You know, and I think about her a lot, and I'm not saying all this to score brownie points with my wife. Believe me, I'm not. But I do think about my wife a lot, and I, and I think about the friendship that we should have had when we were younger that we didn't. You know, our, our life has been kind of a, a turbulent life, and no fault to Sister Kim. It was all laid in Brother Carl's lap, you know, and it's because I didn't know what a friend was. I didn't know what a companion meant to be. I didn't know what the love between a husband and wife was supposed to be all about. I didn't understand what the love between two individuals was supposed to be. And don't get me wrong, I've read the stories about David and Jonathan and all the others, you know, that have had a a connection in the spirit that they loved each other as they loved themselves, which is exactly what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. And I don't want to babble on with you. I want to read you some things. And I I don't know if people clearly understand the love of a friend. I really really don't think we get it. Uh, You know, you can can go around and you can associate, and I've got a lot of acquaintances, but I have few friends. I, I know a lot of people, but I got a few friends that would be there when the chips are down, you know. Some are in church, some are not in church. I have a, a, a best friend that's of the world, and he would do anything in the world for me, and I'd do anything in the world for him. You know, he was, he was there when I lost my son. He's been there to encourage me when I got down. You often hear me talk about him because he's, he's like a brother to me. He, he's, closer, he's closer than just a friend, you know, and, and that's the kind of love that I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight. I want to give you some definitions on the word love and what it truly means. Webster defines a friend as the following, the state of being, the quality or state of being. Britannica defines it as a state of enduring affections and esteem, a trust between two people. A A true friend has generally has five things that define it. I want to read to you what these five things are because, again, I don't, I don't think that we don't get it. I don't think we don't get it, you know, and I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios tonight. It says, one, it's a dyadotic relationship, meaning that it involves interaction between two people willing to get to know each other, okay? That's rule number one for being a friend. Rule number two, 
It is recognized by both members and characterized by a bond or a tie of respect for each other. Okay, that's number two. Number three, it is not obligatory. Two individuals choose to form a friendship. Rule number three. Rule number four, it's typically egalitarian in nature. Unlike parent-children relationships, in instances, each individual in a friendship has the same amount of power and authority in that relationship. That's rule number four. I like that one the best of all, to be honest with you. Number five, it's always characterized by companionship and sharing activities with each other. I would first like you to understand what the world defines as friendship. And then I'm going to take you to some scriptures. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to John 15. And wait for me right there for just a minute, and I'll catch up with you. There's two comparisons that I came up with when I was sitting down. One's a natural comparison, and it's kind of a little bit of a funny thing, but it's very meaningful. If you've ever seen the Jungle Book, you'll understand where I'm going with this. It says, Mowgli and, Boo, and Baloo from the Jungle Book, Mowgli has many friends growing up in the jungle, but his connection with Blue enables him to branch out in a way that he hasn't before. While, while Bagahir provides structure, protection, and caution, this is a parental role that Mowgli can't be the same level with, okay? Despite the depiction of Baloo as an adult bear, his priorities in life show Mowgli how to appreciate different aspects of the world. Though through balancing his new perspective with the, the warningness of his unbring, unbringing, Mowgli becomes a more fully formed person. If you're not friends with somebody that's actually making you a better person, then you've not found a friend, okay? If you haven't found a friend that makes you and actually pushes you above your level of being faithful in a relationship, then you've not really found a friend, okay? And what I mean by that is if you're running around and you're talking about the guy or the gal that you call a friend behind their back, then you're truly not a friend. You're truly not a friend. If you're running around and you're sowing discord among people who claim that you are friends with, then you're truly not a friend. If you're going around and you're tail-bearing things just so you can score brownie points with somebody else and you're begrading the person that you call friends, you're not a friend. Okay? I want you to understand the definition of what a friend really is. A friend is somebody that loves you, cares for you, pushes you, is there with you, and they long suffer with you because you can call my buddy Bill and you can ask him, how many times has Carl said something that probably offended you or hurt you in some way, shape, or form, and I promise you, you would lose count with him, as well as with me. You know what made our friendship last for over 30-some-odd years is the fact that we cared for each other and we were able to look past the shortcomings that we have. He's been there in the roughest times of my life. He stood beside me. And then when I was making some of those decisions, he was telling me, you're wrong. You're wrong in what you're doing. You know, and unlike or maybe just like some of you, 
God sometimes comes knocking at your heart and says, what you're doing is wrong. And God's trying to help you to expand yourself to understand what true friendship's all about. But instead, we want to take the easy road out. You know, the pastor and I was talking the other day, and he said sometimes taking the higher road is a little bit more of a task, and it is. There's a little climb to get over top of some things in your life, and that's, that's when you know you're a child of God. You know, I go back to a, a story that Pastor Urshan told us one time. He said that his dad took him to a place where a family had called and said, I need you. It was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, if I remember correctly. He got Brother Urshan up out of bed. He said, come with me. He said, I want to take you someplace. He said, we walked into a lady's house. He said, we literally walked in the front door and we walked across dirt to get to a wood floor to be able to get there. And he said, as I walked in, this lady's crying, sobbing, and I looked in the kitchen floor and there lays her husband. He passed away. They spent time with that lady. They, they encouraged her. They stayed there until everything was done, and they helped her through what she had to go through above and beyond what was really necessary, but they did it because they loved the lady. And, you know, I never forgot that story because at the end of that story, he said he looked at me and he said, son, this is where the real work is. Getting behind the pulpit and preaching to people, that's, that's, that's an added bonus. But this is where the trenches, when you're in the trenches, and I was glad to hear the pastor mention that tonight, when you're in the trenches tonight and you're able to help people understand that not everything's in their control, that sometimes things happen out of their control, but you can help that person grow from the situation that they were dealt in life because, let's face it, we've all been tossed curveballs. I could pass this mic around. I guarantee you there's not one of you in here that would say, oh, I've never had no tests or trials, Brother Carl. Every one of us has had them. I want to read you the second scenario tonight. This is about Jesus and Peter. And this one means a lot to me because as the natural, I understand that, you know, helping me grow, being there for me, encouraging me, watching over me, having my back when situations aren't right. You know, I've, I've had friends that when we were younger, we'd get in trouble together. And when the chips came down and I'm facing three or four guys and I'm turning around looking and my friends are gone, I'm going, oh, boy. This isn't going to end well for me, you know. And I'm like, I'm going to kill that guy when I get out of this, if I get out of this, you know. But this part of it right here means the most to me. And you know the scenario of Jesus and Peter. I'm just going to enlighten you a little bit on it. It says, Jesus had a strong bond and friendship with all of his disciples, obviously. You know, he called them to be disciples. So he knew what each one of them was going to be and where they were going to be. Jesus was like, he was like the master chess player. He knew where to put the pawns. He knew where to put the bishops. He knew where to put the rooks. He knew where to put the knights. He knew where to put them at to protect the kingdom of God, and he used those men accordingly. And as a pastor, that's kind of his job with us. And if we're not showing him that we're worthy to be on the front line, then we're doing something wrong because the bishop holds great power. And when I'm talking bishop, I'm talking about on the chessboard. If you don't know anything about chess, the bishop can slide diagonally any which way it wants, forward, backward, or whatever. A knight moves out two spaces, right or left, and does whatever it wants. And it's designed to protect the king. Hope you caught my little meaning there. We're designed to protect the king. Okay? That's what we're supposed to do. And how we do that is how we live our lives. 
how we do that dictates how people sees our God that we serve. Whether he's powerful or weak, we portray him. And if you're running around doing all these things I talked to you a little bit earlier about, you're showing them a weak God. You're not showing them a strong God. You're showing them just a God that may or may not even exist. And we wonder why the church world and why the world in general is in the shape it's in right now. It's because the church people aren't showing them the power of God. You know, I got way outside of my comfort zone today. I don't do this very often. But today we got invited to a breakfast to celebrate some tenure of the people that was in the company. The company catered in a great big breakfast, and it was really nice. And as I sat there in the back of the room, you know, and all the guys, I often say this, troublemakers sit in the back of the room, okay? So we were all kind of gathering in the back, and there's like four or five tables in front of us, you know, so they had to yell really loud to talk to us. And as I'm sitting there, I bowed my head, and I prayed in the middle of about 200 people. And I started not to do it, and I heard the voice of God say, if you'd be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. So I bowed my head, and I began to pray. See, because I want that bond like Peter and Jesus had. I don't know about you, but that's the bond I want with not only my spiritual father, but that's the bond I want with all of you folks as well. Because that's truly what has called us to be Christians. We have to have that bond. You can be civil all you want. But civilness only goes so far. Bonds go deep. Bonds means I'm willing to sacrifice. If somebody calls me in the middle of the night and says, hey, I need prayer, I'm going to get up out of my bed, I'm going to make my way to their knee, and I'm going to pray. You know, for the last little while, I have woke up every single night, like clockwork, 145, my eyes pop open. Doze back off after about 15, 20 minutes. 345, my eyes pop right back open. Lay there awake till the alarm goes off and get up and go to work. And sometimes when we're doing that, we're not listening to what God's saying, and so God's got to get our attention. Sleepless nights aren't always bad, and that's what I mean when I said I was laying in bed the other night, and I began to talk to God, and I just felt a calmness come over my spirit and said, it's going to be okay. Situations in life are going to be okay because I got this. Okay? It says, Each one had their own relationship with the Lord. Some of the disciples, some of the disciples we don't know much about, while others seem to take up the bulk of the Lord's time. You ever seen those glory hogs? They got to be bombarding the pastor all the time with all this stuff. You got to think, I got to get up there and be seen by the pastor. I got to be seen by the pastor. I got to talk to the pastor. I got to talk to the pastor. You ever really stop and think that maybe the pastor just needs some time to rest? I mean, honestly, not every service, guys, I'm sorry to tell you this, but not every service you have to run to the pastor and talk to him about your problems because, let's face it, as much as I love him and as much as I respect him, he's just a man. He can't solve all your issues. That's why the altar's here. That's why the prayer time is important. That's why the friendship between you and God is so important in our lives. And don't get me wrong, there's times that you have to go to the talk, talk to the pastor And he's going to have to say, hey, i got to pray about the situation. i got to pray about this. It says, one of the men who was prominent during the life of Jesus and for many years after was a disciple named Peter. During Jesus' life, Peter was prominent, more often than not, because of his mistakes. Yet Jesus forgave him over and over and over. 
Peter said that he would stand by Jesus, Jesus' side until death. Matthew 26, 31 through 35. Jesus knew that Peter would deny him. You think Jesus didn't know that Peter was going to deny him on the day that he needed him the most? He knew. He knew what was going to happen. It says, all four of the Gospels record Peter's denial, but, but before the Lord returned to heaven, he went to Peter, John 21, and showed compassion and forgiveness to him. Though Peter had denied Jesus, Jesus knew he would be a man who would boldly, boldly proclaim the saving grace of God to the world. John 15, 11 through 17. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. You don't have full joy unless you got God. I'm sorry, you just don't. And if, if you have to feel like that you're up one minute, down one minute, up one minute, down one minute, then you need to get to the altar and pray for somebody to give you God, of course, giving you the power to be full. Because even in your miseries, you can still laugh, still be happy. You know, the, the Bible says that when we suffer, appear unto man that we suffer not. I've seen some pretty sad-faced Christians in my lifetime, to be honest with you. I've seen some people that just love to let you know how miserable they are so they can talk about their problems, so that they can get you on their side, so that they can sow a little discord, so that they can cause a little confusion in the church. I've watched it. I've been doing this for 35, 40 years, and I've watched it happen several times, several times. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I loved you, as I loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye, and this is the part that I like, because this is Jesus talking, okay? This is Jesus telling the disciples, ye are my friends if you do what I command you, okay? Now, Jesus has that authority to command things out of us. I don't have that authority to command things out of you, and you don't have that authority to command things out of me. But Jesus, who sits on the throne in the kingdom of heaven, he has that right. He can tell me, hey, this is who you're going to be friends with, and this is who you're not. This is who you're going to associate with, and this is who you're not. This is who's going to build you up, in other words, and this is who's going to tear you down, in other words. So when I say pick your friends, pick your friends wisely. You got to treat everybody as a friend. You got to love everybody. But only few people are going to get close to you. Few people will be there when the chips are down. Few people will be there when you need them the most. And don't be misled in kind words and jesting because that's all good and fine. But then when you need somebody, where are they? Oh, I'm too busy. I don't got time tonight to come and sit and talk to you about something you're going through. I don't have time tonight to make time to sit and talk to you on the phone. Or I don't have time to come and sit down on your front porch and drink a cup of coffee and let's talk about the goodness of God. I don't have time to deal with you because my life is more important. People like that ought to be ashamed of themselves. And if you think you're an elitist and you're better than everybody else, you're right up there with those kind of people. You know, I was often intimidated by men of power that was around me. I often 
would cower down a little bit when they would walk in the room. And then one day I woke up and I realized, Brother Joe, you know what? They put their pants on one leg at a time just like I do. They face the same trials I face. They face the same tests I face. They have the same issues I have. This because they got money or they're in pastor roles or they're in deacon roles or they're in ministerial roles or, you know, whatever the case might be, elder roles in the church doesn't make us better than each other because, let's face it, we're all trying to make heaven our home, every one of us. Every one of us is trying to. And if you don't have the love of God down in your soul, how can you tell your brother you love him, okay, and you don't? then how can you tell God who you don't see that you love him when he knows in your heart already that you don't? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll listen to my instructions. If you love me, you'll follow after the rules and the regulations of the Bible. If you love me, you will trust in me when the chips are down. See, when Kim was taken away that day, I had no choice but to trust God. Brother Mike, I'm the kind of guy that you can ask anybody in my family. I'm a take-control guy. When things start happening and they start going bad around me, i got to get in control because that's where I feel like I'm in my groove is right there moving and doing things. It's got to be done. That day I felt like this. My hands were tied. My heart was shattered. My life was destroyed. The day that I lost my son, I felt like I couldn't do anything else other than serve God. You know, when I lost my son, this is going to seem kind of weird to you, but when I lost my son, I got closer to God. You know why I got closer to God? Because of the men and women of God that was around me that encouraged me to go on. It showed me what the true love should be. It wasn't because of family being there and saying it's going to be okay. It was because of friends coming out of the woodwork, people coming out by the droves and saying, it's going to be okay, Carl. You're going to get through this. You know what? You serve a God that's going to take control, and he's going to have control of it all. So, you know, and then I remember the words that my mom come and told me, son, it rains on the just and the unjust just alike. See, because to be honest with you, I was one of those elitists at that time. I thought I was untouchable by the enemy. I was soaring high. I was teaching a Sunday school class. I was ministering. I was traveling to other churches. I was doing everything right, everything that I was supposed to be doing, and it kind of gave me a little bit of an ego, okay? And I just read to you all ago how egos don't fit in friendships, God don't like eagles. God despises eagles. He thinks egos are the worst thing in the world because when you get an ego, you think that you're God, and you're not. You're not. You can't control it, okay? The friendship between Peter and Jesus was unbreakable. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. Jesus knew that Peter was going to jerk out the sword and cut the man's ear off, and he was going to have to perform a miracle in front of everybody and reach down and replace the man's ear. Jesus knew this stuff, but yet he loved him anyways. Jesus knew that Peter had a forked tongue. Paul even told Jesus, he said, or uh, Peter, he said, Peter, when you're with the Jews, you desire to be like the Jews. When you're with the Gentiles, you desire to be like the Gentiles. Peter, choose this day who you want to be. Stop fooling yourself, Peters. Stop fooling yourselves. Choose this day who you want to be. Do you want to be a man or woman of God, or do you just want to be somebody that gets along? As for me in my house, and I'm talking about this house, not my natural home, but this house, I want to be a friend of Jesus, and I want to serve God and be all that I can be. And that's what Peter was trying to, Peter was trying, or God was trying to get across to Peter. Peter, slow down. Slow down, Peter. It's okay. I got this. 
Peter, you didn't have to jerk out that sword, but okay, since you were so dumb and pulled that sword out and cut that man's ear off, now I got to perform a miracle. Peter, you didn't have to deny me, but that's okay, Peter. I knew you was going to do that. So, you know, just like Judas, he told Judas, he said, go and do as you're called. Go and do as you're called. Okay? It says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for servants knoweth not what the Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all these things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. And that sums up friendship. That sums up friendship. There's no divide between two people who come together with a common goal in life. Now, my buddy Bill and I, we love cars, and that's how we've always got along. My pastor and I, we love the Word of God, and that's how we've always got along. See, we build friendships off of the things we have in common with each other. We build friendships off the things that we know we can work together to achieve. And when I can't get just a little bit farther in my spiritual walk, that's his job to bring me farther. And when he has some times where he's feeling a little weak and drugged down because of all the things that are going on, that's our job to get behind him and push him a little farther. Because believe it or not, when we push him and help him, he helps us. You see how the cycle works? That's the way the cycle works. You help me, I help you. It's kind of like the old adage of this world, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's a little bit more of a meaning than that. Okay? If you truly love somebody and you call somebody friend, you don't want to put them down. You don't want to talk about them. You don't want to backstab them. You don't want people knowing that you're talking about somebody you call friend. That would be like me going around talking badly about my dad. It will never work. It would never work. As a matter of fact, I sat up on his porch the other day and I said, Dad, if I've ever said anything to you that offended you or hurt you, or, uh, you know, made you mad at me in any way, shape, or form, I'm sorry. He said, why, are you going around talking about me, are you? <laughs> I, said, I said, no, Dad, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I said, no, Dad, that's not what I meant. I said, but, Dad, sometimes I get carried away with my words. And sometimes I forget the scripture that says, be slow to speak and swift to hear. And if I've ever done anything to offend you, I apologize. And that's the love I have for my dad. See, next to my God, Bringing honor to my parents, bringing honor to my church is right up there in the top of the list in every way, shape, or form. There is many, many times that people don't bring honor to the church. They don't. They don't bring honor to the church. And, you know, I was sitting at home the other day, and I was meditating on something, and, and this goes again along with friendship and love. I think Mom might have been there, and we started chatting I said, Mom, people don't understand what the church really means. I said, the, the Word of God refers to the church as a mother. I said, Mom, all my life I've done nothing but try to make you proud of me. I might have let you down somewhere along the line, but it didn't stop you from loving me. And therefore, that's the way it is with the church. 
The church is our mother, okay? And when we do what we need to do for the mother, we're blessed. We're blessed. I have Brother Mikey put this picture up here for me. I want to explain a little bit about what that is. I'm going to try and do it without breaking down on you. That's my little brother, Ken. And obviously, that's my mother, mom. My mother, mom. I love that. This picture was taken while my wife was upstairs fighting for her life. COVID was running rampant. Families were being destroyed. Friendships were on the very string that they could break at any moment. Parents were turning against children, and children were turning against parents. Brothers were against brothers, and sisters were against sisters, and sisters were against brothers. And I turned around, and I saw that picture because it had been almost what? Correct me if I'm wrong, Brother Ken, three, three and a half weeks probably since we had seen each other and was able to, don't get me wrong, we got, we got in the parking lot, we prayed for my wife every night, but we kept our distance because all of us was fearful for a man-made disease. We were fearing something we really had no reason to fear, to be honest with you. I'm going to burst your bubble because if you're living what you're supposed to be living, dying is a blessing. Let's just face it. That's why we do what we do. That's why we get up every Tuesday or we come home from work every Tuesday night we get dressed, we come to this place because that's what we do. We're looking forward to eternity. We get up every Sunday morning, we make our way to the church house, we get taught Sunday school lessons, we have good good afternoon sessions, we have shouting, dancing, running, and ju- you know, jumping all over the place, people speaking in tongues, interpretations of tongues taking place. That's why we do what we do. That picture is special to me because for three, three, three and a half weeks, we didn't get to hug each other. We didn't, get to, we didn't get to be emotional with each other. We stood across the, my little brother Ken brought. My little brother Ken brought our family dinner one night. I never will forget it. And he set it down on the doorstep of my door and he backed away. And he said, Bub, I want to hug you so bad but I'm afraid. And if you don't know my little brother Ken, that's the first time in my life I ever heard him say he was afraid. And I said, I know, me too. I don't know what to do. So to see that picture of my mom hugging my little brother, man, everybody that sits in this room lived through COVID. Everybody that sits in this room lived through some times where we didn't think we were going to have family members. Some of us didn't even make it through. Some of our family members passed. And we never got to tell them we loved them because of a disease that somebody inflicted into our country and tried its best to divide you. It don't care about the world. It could care less about the world. The world's so divided right now, it don't know whether blue's blue and black's black. The world don't care about that. It's... it's, you bind the strong man, you destroy the home, okay? And you guys don't realize this, but you are the strong men. The Christian world is the strong men, and if the devil binds us, he's done one. And I got news for you. He's not going to win. He's not going to win. The love between Jesus, it, it goes with all of the other disciples. You think all the other disciples, they were perfect men? They weren't. They weren't perfect men. He had the stricken one with blindness and talked to him from heaven to get his attention because he knew that he was going to be one of the greatest apostles to ever live. 
He had to bring him to his knees to get him to appreciate where he needed to go. And then he sends a man to him and says, go pray for him because I've called him to be a great man of God. And the guy's going, Ananias is going, whoa, whoa, put the brakes on that idea, God. You know what that man does? And Jesus is like, yeah, I know what he does. Do you know what I can do? Ananias couldn't argue with that. He couldn't argue with that. He, he had to go do what God told him to do. You know, I thank God tonight because as doing this reading and this meditating on friendship, it made me realize how special each and every person in my life really is. Some of you I know pretty deeply. Some of you I don't know very deeply. Some of you I want to know better. Some of you we need to know better because each and every one of us has got a gift and a talent that can cause this place to grow. Each and every one of us has a different gift and talent that can cause this place to grow. Sometimes stepping out of the way of those talents, it takes a lot of guts. I was a darn good Sunday school director. I was a darn good youth pastor. I was a darn good everything that I did, youth church. I may I took pride in what I did, and I'd done it to the best of my knowledge, Burjo, to step aside and to watch somebody else grow. When Brother Chris took over my job as the as the uh, youth pastor, I think that was one of the greatest things that ever happened to this church, to be honest with you. Brother Chris, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I think that that was one of the greatest things that ever happened. And look at him now. The message that he preached Sunday, my God. If that didn't make you go home feeling like you could conquer the world, I don't know what would. There's a lot of messages like that around here lately. If you just stop sitting on your seats and do nothing and start getting involved and getting into something and trying to worship God, stop being shy and backward. You've got nothing to worry about here. We're family. We're friends. We love you. If you take off running around this room because the Spirit of God moves on you and you trip and fall, don't worry about it. Get up and run some more. If you're up here shouting and you accidentally bump somebody, just shout that much more. Don't worry about it. Because I promise you one thing, you made a lot of mistakes on your jobs trying to get to where you're good at doing your jobs. So why should it be any different? And why should the love of God wax cold in our hearts? Why should the love of God be wasted on an individual who don't care to do no better? You know, I say this with all sincerity. I just made that statement, and I look back, and I think over my life how my wife stood behind me through everything that I did, through everything. And she had every right to walk away, but she didn't. She stayed. And God has every right to walk away from you when you do all the things that you're not supposed to be doing, but yet he doesn't. He's still standing there, Brother Chris, and going, it's okay, Brother Chris, you made a mistake. Well, you made a decision that has consequences to pay because I don't believe in mistakes, okay? It's not a mistake that you tell a lie. It's not a mistake that you talk about somebody behind their back. It's not a mistake that you try to cause division in the church. Those are not mistakes. Those are decisions you make. So don't be a bit surprised when you get called out on them. Don't be a bit shocked by it or when you think that you're above being chastised and all of a sudden you get chastised, not, not by the pastor, okay? Because let's face it, the pastor doesn't know everything goes on in our lives, but we do serve a God that does know all. He sees all. 
You know why? Because he's in us all. We were created to worship God. And if you think God don't know you just like he knew the disciples, you think he doesn't know what your next breath or your next thought's going to be, you're sadly mistaken. You know, you can't control the thoughts sometimes that come into your mind, but you can reject those thoughts. You know how many times in the last little while I had to say, I had to, say to myself, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. There's times I have to say that over and over and over again to myself because the devil will come in and make you go, you're not worthy, Brother Mike. Look at what you've done in your life. Look where you've been. Look what you've been through. Look at all the turmoil and things that's happened in your life. And then you go, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus forgave me for my sins when he hung on the cross and he died for me. Jesus forgave me when that happened. So I don't have to go back and relive those, Brother Edwin, over and over and over again. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. And then he wants you to overlive them again and share them with everybody so they can go, oh, I know exactly what you're feeling like. You know what? I had this dear old lady one time, loved this woman to death. And when I was doing all the mischief stuff in the world, I would run to her because she would say, it's okay, Brother Carl, God understands. So when I needed correction, I didn't go to the people I knew was going to say, stop doing what you're doing. I would go to the people and say, it's okay, Brother Carl. God understands. You'll get there. You'll get through this. Sometimes I'd like to look in the mirror at myself and say, shut up. God's got this, and I'm going to get through this regardless of what you're telling yourself. Shut up. Just shut your mouth. Stop talking. Because all you're doing is beating words around in your lips. They don't mean anything. You know, there's been so many times we have to go back and apologize for words that we spoke when the Bible clearly says, again, slow to speak, swift to hear, wise as a serpent, harmless. Oh, there's that harmless word. How are you going to build a good friendship? you got to be harmless. you got to be wise, but you got to be harmless. you got to be strong, but you got to be soft. you got to be able to stand your ground, but to stop standing your ground when you need to and steal and let God do what God's got to do. Peter and Jesus had a very special relationship. And I'm asking you tonight, where do you stand with your relationship with God? Is your relationship this, that you know when you hit your knees at this altar or at home or driving down the road? I remember the pastor telling you the other day he was on his way to work and he began to break out and praise in his truck and he could hardly see driving down the road for wiping the tears out of his face because the Spirit of God filled the cab of his truck. I've had that happen. How many of you have experienced that? And if you haven't, you maybe ought to pray a little harder. If you haven't, maybe you ought to try a little bit more. If you haven't, maybe you ought to stop all the stuff that we know we're not supposed to be doing and start mingling with the things that we are supposed to be doing. You know, there's, there's nothing worse than an old sour Christian. Somebody that don't feel no spirit. It's been said many times across this pulpit, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a salvation that I couldn't feel. I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a salvation I couldn't feel, but I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a church that don't make me feel convicted when I walk inside of it if I'm doing something wrong. You've got to have conviction to get closer to God. And if you've got conviction, don't be ashamed of it. So many times people sit back there and they'll do this. Pastor John, I've seen people sit there like this and you just know. They're like, I should go, but I can't. I should go, 
but I can't. People's going to think I'm crazy. If I get up and start clapping my hands or raising my hands and shouting amen, hallelujah, people's going to think I'm a little bit nuts. And God's sitting in heaven going, hmm, I thought we were friends. Maybe we aren't as good of friends as I thought we were. You know, I remember my buddy Nate. He came back to church with us for a while. And I remember he broke down right about there where Sister Kaylee and him is sitting at. Preaching was going on, and he just hit his knees and began to cry out and pray to God and just started speaking in tongues. And I remember going, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. I don't want to care what people think when it comes to serving God. If God says speak, I want to speak. I just want to, I want to break out and let people know how good God is. You know, this is one of the downfalls that Brother Carl has, and, and I often believe in, I believe in telling on myself, is I don't share the glory of God enough with people, okay? Sometimes it's easy to say, oh, I talk to people about God. I talk to people about the Bible, you know. I'm really doing the best I can do when we're really going, no, you're not. What are you lying for? You're not doing all you can do. Now, I'm not talking about overwhelming yourself with the duties of the church and all the other things like that because I, this young man preached a message one time, and it was called The Balance of Life, and I never have forgotten that message. You've got to have a balance. You've got to have a balance. You've got to have family time, but you've got to have God time. They don't intermingle sometimes. Sometimes you've got to get up and walk away from the family to go sit down and have a talk with God. Sometimes you've got to get up and go, Okay, God, I gave you a lot of time saying, I need to go spend some time with my wife and my kids. Let them know how much I love them too. And God don't mind that. God don't mind that at all. Just don't stay there. Just don't let that linger with you because I'm going to tell you something. That's a good thought because God gave us a family to take care of. God gave me a wife and children to watch over and protect. But God didn't give me children and wife to take care of and place of God because if I don't love God first I can't have love for my wife or my children and see in my younger days I didn't have no love for God so I didn't really have much love for my wife and my children it's sad to say but you're looking at a man that is not ashamed to confess his faults okay I'm not afraid to do that because through my faults I begin strong through my faults I was made strong and through my faults, I understand how to look at other people and go, hmm, I know exactly what they're doing in life. I know exactly. You know, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to get ready to come to a close as the musicians, musicians come. I have a hard time saying that word. Be weary of wolf and sheep's clothing. Be weary of wolf and sheep's clothing. Wolves come to devour, to destroy, to pick apart, to disturb, to cause ripples. I'm not saying wolves can't be saved. When I say wolves, I'm talking about humans. I'm not saying they can't be saved, can't be changed, because every man and woman has a right to be saved and be changed, and only God can do that. You know how you do that? You reject that wolf. You know, there's many, many times... And I say this, this in, in jesting, honestly, but there's lots of times I like to say, just shut up. Just stop talking because everything coming out of your mouth is a lie. Everything coming out of your mouth is a lie. 
You don't believe any of it, and you don't mean any of it, so why say it? If I could leave you with this, this thought and this thought alone, I want you to understand something. You are in a church that loves you unconditionally. Some of you come from pretty turbulent backgrounds. Some of you came from Christian homes that really weren't Christian homes. Some of you came from places that you thought you were doing right when you really weren't doing right. But you're in a place right now that long suffers. You know, I used to think about long suffering. Oh, that's a month, and I'm good. Walk away. Walk away, Brother Dave. After that, I've done long suffered enough. You know, God gets to determine that long suffering. God gets to determine who gets saved and who doesn't. You know what your job to do as Christians is? No matter how much you may or may not like that person, your job is to get them saved. That's what you are called to do. And if something that you're doing isn't changing that individual's life, then maybe you're not doing the right thing. The church world is full of people who think they're doing all they can do, and at the end of their life, they're going to find out they didn't do much at all. At the end of their lives, they're going to look at God, and He's going to say, Depart from me, you sinner of iniquity, for I never knew you. I don't want nothing to do with you. Depart. You know, the altar is open. The prayer chain is here. The men and women of God and the prayer warriors that we have in this place, they can help you change your life. I'm going to take you one step farther than that. They can help you improve your life. We all need a little help every now and then. We all need to have somebody that we can lean on and somebody that we can trust. We all need to have somebody that we can confine in. Just watch it who it is. Because not everybody says, I love you. They don't love you. Sometimes they have deceit in their heart. Their mouth is betraying them. Just like Paul told Peter, your speech betrays you, Peter. Your speech is betraying you. If people hadn't taken the time, if the disciples and Jesus hadn't taken time with Peter, maybe it's because of what Peter represents in the Bible. Maybe it's because Peter was one of the most stern, straightforward people that I've ever read about in my life. Maybe that's why I look to Peter so much. But Peter was just a man. And don't you ever forget, don't you ever forget this. You're just a human trying to make God happy and make heaven your home. I hope and pray tonight that I've said something or God said something through me, through the scriptures, through the reading. I hope and pray tonight that God's touched you in some way, shape, or form and let you know that just what friendship really means. Friendship don't take a back seat to nothing. Friendship doesn't lay down. Friendship doesn't die. Friendship doesn't go away. Friendship can't be extinguished. It can't be snuffed out. But it takes two to make that happen. Two people have to come together on a common ground. I'm going to tell you something. I look around at you tonight, and I got something in common with all of you. That's serving God. Serving God should make us love each other that much more. Make us forgive each other that much more. 
Make us long to understand each other that much more. Make us desire to be around each other that much more. Make us desire to worship God that much more. It should bring alive, and that's what the fullness and the joy of God is all about. Without the love and the fullness of God, you've got no love or fullness in your life. So think on that. Go home, meditate on that. Ask yourself, am I really being true friends to that person? Is that person really being a true friend to me? Do I really need to work harder to build this relationship with certain people? I'm going to say this, and I'm going to hand the mic back over to my little brother, our pastor. I remember growing up, there was a man named Johnny Shute. My mom and dad, they did everything they could do to change this man's life. And my God, I used to get so aggravated at him. I'd say, Mom, why do you do what you do? Next thing you know, he was still off of us. He'd end up in prison. Wasn't just us, he was still off of us, other people. Oh, he'd get into prison and he'd confess, Oh, I found Jesus. I found God. I'm a changed man. God's going to set me free. Next thing you know, Brother Kaylee's back out on the street. He comes back to Peg Claude's house because he knows that they're going to forgive him and they're going to hang on with him. Next thing you know, he's back to drinking, back to stealing, and back into prison he goes. And I watched this man do this cycle over and over and over and over, and it never accomplished him anything in life other than causing people to dislike him. Don't be one of those Christians that people dislike. Don't do that. Don't go around casting judgment at people. Don't go around trying to put yourself on a pedestal just to make everybody else look beneath you. Don't do that. There's so many times we have to take the back seat to people. Sometimes you got to step backwards to help people go forward. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to step back so that somebody else can step forward. We have to be able to prefer our brother. That's what the Word of God says. Prefer your brother. When one suffers, we all suffer. Pastor John, does that know what it says? When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is hurt, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all get to rejoice. I love you tonight, and I hope and pray that you go home tonight. Hey, I hope you have the best night's sleep you've ever had. But first and foremost, when this altar is open, when you make your way to this altar, I want you to go home and make your way to your altar at home. Let God know just exactly what he means to you. Thank you, and God bless you.